Welcome to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast. We are all feeling a little out of place, a little disorganized, a little disordered. And in this sermon, we hear how the exiles felt the same and we hear God's word to them. You're listening to Hope for Exiles by Reverend Christy Mannion. Good morning, LaGrave family. For the last three weeks, we've been unpacking the firm foundations of our faith together. And Reverend Yonker has taken us through the Hebrew and Christian stories about God and who he is and about the world that God made and about humans and who they are in God's image. And Reverend Yonker held those up to contrast for us the difference between the ancient Babylonian stories about those features of life. And we've thought about how our own culture stories comes into play against our Christian story. And this week, we're reading over the shoulder of God's people exiled in Babylon. And we're looking for echoes of hope from a place where they did not want to be. So listen to these words from Jeremiah chapter 29. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests and to the prophets and all the other people that Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jehoiachin and the king mother, the court officials, the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the skilled workers, the artisans, had all gone into exile from Jerusalem. Jeremiah entrusted the letter to Elasa, son of Shaphan, and to Gemariah, son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, the king of Judah, sent to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. This is what the letter said. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the prosperity and peace of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. For if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Don't let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon... I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and the places where I've banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you 
into exile. This is the word of the Lord, and we thank God for it. Jeremiah 29 holds some of the most loved promises of God in the Bible. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hopeful future. This is a promise that orients people who are standing on the edge of the unknown. We like to speak them over our young children. We like to send these words to new graduates from high school or college looking ahead. We speak them to each other to encourage one another during the changing seasons of our lives. Maybe you yourself have even been orienting your life and your mind and your heart around these words over the last number of months. Because these words are so loved and so often quoted, we often forget just how badly the first recipients of these words needed to hear them. Because things really couldn't get a whole lot worse for the people of Judah. They had been living there in the land God promised them, and they were on the crossroads, a major land bridge of the known world. So they had Egypt to the south, and first Assyria, and then Babylon to the northwest. They'd seen the march of armies coming through their land. And during this time, they had had five kings on the throne in the span of 25 years, some of them only for a couple of months. Two of those kings had been killed or exiled by Egypt. The other three kings had faced this looming, impending threat of the armies of Babylon. And now at this time, in this letter that Jeremiah sent to them, there they were. There they are, a thousand miles away from home in enemy territory. There's conquered King Jehoiachin and his mother and his household. There are Judah's wisest officials and counselors. There are the best and the brightest and most competent scholars, soldiers, artisans, craftsmen. And among them are faithful people like young Daniel and his three friends. So whether you were left behind in Jerusalem or sent packing off to Babylon, you were trying to figure it out just what in the world was going on. Hadn't God promised Hadn't he said that there would always be a king from David's line on the throne? But there went Jehoiakim, Jehoiachin with his uncle Zedekiah set up as a vassal king to a more powerful ruler. Hadn't God promised that his presence would never leave the temple? But try telling that to people who watched the caravan cart away the treasures from the temple that Solomon had placed there 400 years earlier. And so a variety of voices, all claiming to speak for God, tried to interpret the signs of the times, tried to guide the king and the people about what they should do. Should they resist Babylon? Should they go quietly? How long would they be gone? And most importantly, did all of this historical upheaval that they were witnessing, did all of that mean that God had left them? 
Well, left behind in Judah among people who were too inconsequential for Nebuchadnezzar to think it was worth his while to deport is Jeremiah the prophet. Jeremiah's preaching had never gained him celebrity status or approval. Far from it. For his entire ministry, Jeremiah has been the voice of accountability, the voice of God's warning and judgment to the people of Judah. He's been a bad news prophet, one that the kings don't want to believe. He has been friendless and alone, placed in the stocks. He's been on trial for his life, all because he exposed the ways that Israel had rejected the faithful love of their living God. The good news false prophets against Jeremiah are saying that Judah's stint in Babylon is going to be short. They say two years, two years and everybody's going to be back home. But Jeremiah knows differently. Not so, he says. It'll be over when it's over. We'll give it 70 years. And so Jeremiah's message gets tucked into the diplomatic mailbag and it makes the trek to Babylon. Didn't exactly contain news that the exiles eager for a return to Judah wanted to hear. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens, eat what they grow. Marry and have sons and daughters and find wives for your sons. Give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. So people of Judah, Jeremiah says, seek life there, even there, in Babylon, in the last place on earth you hoped to be. Seek life also for your enemies. Settle in for a 70-year stretch. Build houses, plant seeds, have weddings, welcome sons and daughters and grandchildren even. Seek the flourishing of this enemy city. Ask God to bless it. Bless and do not curse. Because in blessing it, God will also bless you. And also, people of Judah, God hasn't left you. He has not abandoned you there. I know it seems like the king of Babylon is all-powerful, like he's the one calling the shots. But it isn't true. The title that Jeremiah is especially fond of for God here is the Lord Almighty. Literally in Hebrew, it means Yahweh, I am, of armies. This title is the Lord Sabaoth from Martin Luther's hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. If you ever wondered what that means, now you know. This is the God of the angel armies, as the message says. 
This is the Lord who rules over all, as the English, New English translation renders it. All of our translations are trying to get at this idea that God's power is big enough to command all the forces of history. Jeremiah uses it a lot. It shows up 80 times in the book of Jeremiah, and just over half the time, it appears right up next to another title for God, the God of Israel, the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel. In these few words that identify God, Jeremiah does two things. First, he makes it clear that it's God, not Nebuchadnezzar, who's really in charge. The God who has fought for his people in the past is now the God also carrying them off into exile. That's hard, to, hard news to hear. But the exile isn't the end of the story because that Lord of armies, strong over everything, was and is and continues also to be the God for Israel, the God to whom the people of Judah pray, the God to whom they put their hope and their trust, even in that place of exile. And that God has promised to bring them back into a, a future filled with hope because it's filled with him. I love what John Calvin wrote about this chapter of Jeremiah when I read this this week. Everything was then in such a ferment that some people feared more than was necessary and others entertained vain hopes, as the case usually is in a disordered state of things. Brothers and sisters, we're living through a disordered state of things. It's hard to tell which of our fears on the one hand are reasonable and which of our hopes on the other hand are viable right now. Some of us are scared, scared to death about our jobs, our employees, and our businesses. Others of us are terrified for our own health or the health of someone that we love who is particularly vulnerable. Our individual fears get triggered and set off by different aspects of this time. But all of us share anxiety about the long-term impact that this time in history will have on us, on the fabric of our life. Many of us would, would love to wake up tomorrow and wave a magic wand and have things go back to the way they were before we were all staying home. When will I go back to the office? Will the kids have school in person in the fall? What will be the long-term effect of this on our culture? What can be done to support the most vulnerable people? And what's that tickle in my throat? We want to be as informed as we can be about our situation so that we can make daily decisions about how to conduct our lives. And so we read the news and we look for reliable sources. We look for some level of peer review, some level of consensus by experts. We try hard to read the signs of the times. We look to the evaluations of people and institutions that we trust. But it's also true that the scientific studies, the healthcare information, the orders from our local officials continue to unfold because we're in an unfolding situation. 
and we can't ever reach the end of the internet in reading everything. The Danish theologian Soren Kierkegaard was right when he paraphrased classical philosophers almost 200 years ago. He said, life must be understood backwards, but we have to live it forwards. Try as we might with all of our knowledge and all of our expertise, our understanding is partial. And yet life and time keep moving forward. Left to ourselves, especially if we have hours alone for our minds to run, we don't live very well in the present. We're perched on the edge of an unknown future. And that, C.S. Lewis says, is right where our oldest enemy would like us to be, exiled in uncertainty. In the Screwtape Letters, Lewis imagines advice coming from a more senior devil to a more junior devil about how to thwart someone's burgeoning trust in God. So Screwtape says this, we want the person to be in the maximum uncertainty so that his mind will be filled with contradictory pictures of the future. Keep a person occupied with her longings and her fears for the future, Lewis says, and you will rob her of the only time she has to receive the gifts of God. Right now. Lewis says that God would have humans continually concerned with eternity, continually concerned with God, or continually concerned with the present, obeying, obeying the present voice of conscience, bearing the present cross, receiving present grace, and giving thanks for present pleasure. Lewis goes on to say that living in the present means thinking about tomorrow just as much as it's necessary to prepare now for the acts of justice and charity, which will likely be our duty tomorrow. Do you hear echoes of Jeremiah's advice to his fellow Israelites in Babylon? Bear the present cross of exile. Receive the present grace of life. Obey the voice that calls you to prayer and to service. Give thanks for the present pleasures, houses and gardens and families. Contribute positively to life right there, right now, however you can. And when the time is right, you'll be ready to come back as people restored. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you. I will fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. That hopeful future that Jeremiah saw and spoke of at a distance came to pass. 
Later on, waves of people came with Ezra and with Nehemiah back into the land that God had promised them. But Jeremiah was also pointing ahead to the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And Jesus' words and Jesus' life demonstrate a hopeful future for those who, that awaits those who call him the Lord. Thankfulness, Jesus demonstrates, for God's good gifts and loving service to those around him. Patient acceptance of the cross when the time came. Jesus' resurrection, commission, and promise to be with us always even to the end of the age, gives us hope. And we live day by day in the sure and certain hope that he's coming back to this country and he will bring his people home. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is Lord of all. He is the Lord of armies and circumstances and history. Our lives may be changed in ways we did not expect and could not have foreseen thanks to a tiny virus. But we belong to him. And the God who holds the history of this planet in his hands is holding us as we look forward to a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Because of that, we can walk each day in the present moment by moment because he is Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you see our hearts, you know our minds, you know our, our anxieties, our weaknesses, our temptations and our fears. You know the future also that you have called us into. And part of that means that we walk this day, this moment with you. So give us that day by day grace to live as people of hope. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast.